hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how our guest acquired and grew a portfolio of eight SaaS companies. Today, we have our guest, Sujin Patel, joining us. Sujin is a data-driven marketer and entrepreneur and the co-founder of Mailshake, where they help people have more conversations, qualify more leads, and close more deals through email. Sujin is also the managing partner at Ramp Ventures, where he manages those eight SaaS companies, including Mailshake, Vala Norbert, Right Inbox, ZoomShift, among several others. As a veteran SaaS marketing leader with over 15 years experience, Sujin has helped hundreds of companies from emerging startups to Fortune 500 leaders. He helps them create growth strategies that have generated massive increases in traffic and revenue. And he also does consulting work through his SaaS marketing agency, WebProfits. In his own words, when he's not working, uh, you can find him racing cars or motorcycles. And if you're in Austin, if you look up, you may even see him jumping out of a plane. So welcome, Sujin. Super excited to have you on our show today. Thank you, man. That's the best, that's the best intro ever. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> so uh, uh, for those who don't know you, and you know, we've had a couple of conversations, so I know a bit about your background, but I saw one quote on your website. We say, I got schooled on business by trying and failing. So before we get into all your successes, I want to hear about your background on your failed venture. So you mentioned on your, on your website about a failed e-commerce venture, and then you launched an agency, which uh, many of you many people may know, called Single Grain, which was led to an eventual exit in 2013. Uh, so if you can share us a little bit about your, your background, how you began your first entre- entrepreneurial ventures up until today. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, you know, again, early 2000s, I launched an e-commerce website for selling car parts, like aftermarket, you know, car parts like exhaust, intakes and stuff like that. And um, yeah, um, I went from selling it to my friends offline to online. And this was before the days of Shopify. So I actually had to go build an e-commerce platform. And and that was... I learned a lot of lessons. I think I borrowed $5,000 from my dad and got a loan for 5k. And I was 18 years old, didn't know anything I was doing. Um, and I completely failed at the business part, but I, lo- I learned about marketing and, and how to do SEO. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, eight, eight, I was I was like 18 and didn't know anything and pretty much, you know, failed miserably at the business side of things. And so I was like, I'm good at marketing. Let me go do consulting and, and help other people with marketing that have a product or a business that works. And so I just did work on like Elance. This is Elance, you know, Odesk merged to be Upwork. Um, and I was the only... US Indian on Elance doing marketing, right? And SEO work, right? And I was charging, like I was 18, 19, I was charging like 20 bucks an hour. And to me, it was great. This is a great money. That's when I got a taste, of, a really taste of entrepreneurship in, in its working stance, right? Like mm-hmm. I was making, you know, I was in college, I eventually dropped out, but I was in college making, you know, four, five, six grand a month doing like three, four hours of. I would say like 10, 20 hours of work a week, right? Most of which on the weekends. And like, and then I farmed it out to other people. And, and I was like, oh, this is actually something I could do. And that's when I started Single Grain. Started kind of in 2005. Failed to get that business to be enough to be supporting me um, financially. So I took a job and kept kind of some clients. And through this whole process, um, yeah, I pretty much grew that business. I uh, ended up like four years of working. So I went from like a senior, you know, whatever, like an entry level person to like learn how to manage teams and, and, and manage kind of multi million dollar, you know, stri- uh, marketing budgets. And I was like, all right, cool. Through this whole work thing, I'm just going to go 
take my, I ended up convincing my uh, job to be my first client at single grain and like paying me more than my salary. I, I, you know, I don't want to dissect how I did it. It's too, <laughs> too long of a story, but yeah, I mean, eventually took single grain from like, you know, one full-time job uh, to be my first client, you know, six figure client to about 3 million in annual revenue. And I made every mistake I could possibly make. I added some mm-hmm. business partners uh, and then eventually exited in 2013. And, and that was also kind of a mistake of how I exited and all that stuff is an earnout, um, not much cash up front. Anyways, uh, through this whole time, I was actually like, I hated doing agency work consulting. Um, and the whole time I was launching businesses, we launched like some affiliate sites some you know, some, uh, ad network, uh, like content sites, you know, we never, I tried to launch software, but like I was missing like a product manager or someone like I, somebody, a dev would always build what I told them to build, not mm-hmm. like take that information and then say, Oh, let me build a solution around the problem you're identifying. It would literally solve my problem which is a mistake. And we never got product market fit. I've wasted the whole time I did single grain over the course of like eight, nine years. I probably spent, you know, 30% of the revenue every year or 30, 30% of profits uh, like across the life of that business on failed ideas uh, hmm. and ideas that eventually failed. And I learned, I was like, I, oh, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. Don't do that. Oh, that worked. Right. And I kind of just like did that. And all along the way, my agency was growing and was working and I work with like really big name clients now like Airbnb, Warby Parker, LinkedIn, SlideShare and LinkedIn because SlideShare got sold to LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like almost every single property Intuit owns. Um, and yeah, and, and, and many more. So anyways, but at that time, I was like, Airbnb seems like uh, this shitty little startup that yeah. I, have, I don't see this as a viable business. They're raising so much money. <laughs> Luckily, I got some shares in it. Um, and oh. now I think they're about to go IPO. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to actually make a decent amount of money, way more than I could have charged them. So it's good. But anyways, <laughs> uh, but I failed that single grain too, because I kind of wasn't able to build that to be a profit. It didn't have great profit operation. It was inefficient. I was the single biggest bottleneck and I managed like mm. 25 people. And so, yeah, and then I, and I went into SaaS. And then why I went to SaaS is, well, I wanted to do SaaS. And why I went into SaaS is out of all the clients and all the types of businesses we work with, e-commerce, SaaS, content sites, publishers, physical products, pharmaceutical companies, you name it. I was like, SaaS seems like the most tech-growing industry. Mm-hmm. They're very profitable. They're growing. It's cheap. Hiring developers are cheaper than like building and building a physical product or your e-commerce seems like the margins are so thin. So anyways, I was like, I want to go learn. I'm going to go build a SaaS company. I didn't know anything about building a SaaS company outside of my failures, which didn't teach me that much on the SaaS front. Um, so I, I took a job with one of my clients when I work. And for two years, I parked myself and learned everything outside of marketing, mm. so hiring, developers, building product, product and product feedback, product market fit, Operating, operating SaaS company, like hiring support people, hiring salespeople, um, what the cogs are, the finances and all that stuff. And I was going to park myself there for five years and say, I'm just going to go along with the ride and take a break from entrepreneurship. Six months in, I got bored and started Mailshake. I was like, oh, I'm just <laughs> like practice. 
I don't know if it's a good idea. Let's just practice. Uh, you know, this Mailshake is our biggest company, uh, our largest ones in terms of our portfolio. And along the way of trying to get product market fit with Mailshake, which took product market fit at Mailshake took two years um, because we pivoted from some other idea. Um, I started buying companies with my business, my now business partner Bob Senoff, and we're like, building companies sucks. It takes forever to get the product market fit. <laughs> Let's just buy them when they get the product market fit, and we think there's an opportunity to scale them. So my background is marketing. So I was like, hey, I think I can grow companies better than I can build them. And so mm. along the way, we bought a couple. I think we bought three or f- we bought two with our own money, um, and then I bought a few more with outside capital and two of which we built. So in total, Round Ventures has owned and operated about 10, 11 companies now. Um, we currently operate... Um, uh, well, we had eight and now we're kind of selling or automating to really actively manage mm. three. Makes sense. So before we kind of get into those those portfolio companies, I want to rewind a little bit on that agency uh, conversation because I think that's a conversation a lot of people think about when they're launching companies. Should I go the agency route? And I'm sure you know that it was grueling because it is difficult. And you see that route where a lot of people go from agency to SaaS because they realize they don't want to be managing all these clients and the amount of work it takes versus just building a product once and iterating on that. Um, you know, looking back now, you know, would you still suggest somebody to go down that agency route, maybe build an agency, learn that, but or should they just go dive in directly into SaaS? Yeah, I think um, I I think what I learned the hard way, and also just what I learned from marketing multiple different properties, um, is invaluable, right? I think that is such a good skill set. Like I can go, and this is not from like me buying companies. This is come from like my ten years of doing working at a matrix organization or agencies. Is that I can look at any property and like within like an hour, I can kind of spitball two or three really good ideas to grow it, right? Mm. Not knowing everything about the business. I'm almost like a, it's almost like a management consultant style. They can, from an outside perspective, and because they have an outside perspective, they can see the holes and gaps in your business. And, mm-hmm. and now, like in one hour, I won't come with the best strategy in the world. I'll just be good leading indicators of what should be done. And mm-hmm. so that's a skill set, I'd say, uh, that helps me in buying companies because I look at like 40, 50 deals a month. The other thing I got from this, and this is a superpower, I think, I would say this is my superpower, uh, is my ability to scale, to switch gears from like one company to another, right? Like from mm-hmm. 9am to 10am today, I talked about Mailshake. From Kendall, before this, I talked about ZoomShift. And it was like, they're pretty like in the weeds conversations. And I can mm-hmm. switch gears like almost in like a minute, just like turn to the other thing. Um, because I worked on so many agency uh, clients that like I'd have to go from one client to the other to the other and and working at matrix organizations where one marketing team support multiple brands and mm-hmm. companies. So I'd have to like go one meeting, talk about the 2021 strategy for like XYZ company, and then so another one and like, here's the way we're gonna spend five million dollars next year on growing this company. And they're like pretty big like weight on your shoulders conversations because mm-hmm. I was leading marketing. But I was—I don't know—I was able to do it. And I just did it for so long, and I probably did a bad job. But now <laughs> I'd say I'm doing a better job. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, I guess it's the same concept, right? When you're leading a lot of projects at an agency. So yeah, that's something I will suggest too. Is like you know, there is a lot of value in whether working at an agency, building your own agency, or even going working at a startup. I think you've done all three of those, and I think 
yeah, now you can take that and now apply it to, to bigger things, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't really replace the grind, right? You can't really mm-hmm. replace the experience you get from working for someone. And the reason yeah. I say I think that's really valuable or an agency is like, okay, so you could be amazing at whatever skill set you have, but you're not amazing at the rest of the part. Like you, you can't default just like, I know how to run a business, every aspect of it, right? So if you work at an agency, you only have to work at the aspect that you might be good at, right? And then like the other parts working, like, when I worked and did marketing for Airbnb um, and or LinkedIn, they had their shit together on the whole part of their business. Sure, they mm. changed business models and strategies and blah, blah, blah all the time, you know, like over years and years. But they had a, their core business working. I don't have to worry about like, hey, is LinkedIn like people are going to like just stop using it randomly? You know, I think if I were to go start my own SaaS company, I have to do the marketing and the growth and try to figure out all the other aspects of it. And to do that for the first time, it's fucking hard. Like that's too many variables. So remove yeah. <laughs> variables and get the experience. Make, makes sense. Um, so now you have a total of eight companies in your portfolio with Ramp Ventures. Some of them you said you acquired, some you started. Looking back now at some of the deals you've done, I think lookbacks are pretty important. What would you say has been the best acquisition specifically, both from a, I'll say financial and personal gain? And why? Because I think sometimes the financial gain might be there, but it's just so draining and, and maybe not worthwhile. So looking back, what has been kind of the you know uh, best investments you've seen? Yeah, I, I think Bola Norbert was probably the best investment um, we've done so far. It mm-hmm. was on the smaller end. I think we bought it doing like 7, 8K in revenue uh, a month. And you know we've grown it um, quite su- substantially um, with a high profit. Like I think we're like 70 percent margins like net profit hmm. the, to the partners um after all marketing all the support operations and you know the dev server costs um i think yeah it was, it was like from a, my if i look at my rr like my total return from the business it would have been an it would have been it, it, it's gonna be great but not amazing not life-changing but mom hmm. in the business of like chip away at like getting getting to getting to the next level. So I think mm. this gets me a big chip forward and is a good success. Like, don't get me wrong, I've done plenty of deals that didn't work out. And in fact, like Norbert bought another company, kind of a distressed property, and that was a horrible idea. And that's gonna actually that hurt the business so much from a time and, and suck perspective that, you know, unfortunately, um yeah, unfortunately, you know, it's um it, it killed momentum for and, and, and drained energy beyond, I don't know, we, it was a distressed property. Mm. We bought it for very cheap. It was, I would pay the person that much not to have, her, have to go back and think about that business again. <laughs> so would you say that's like your worst deal you've done? And looking back then, what would you have done differently and how you approach that? Like looking at, would you, was there something you could have caught and found that, you know, you, you found later on at this point? I think the no, I don't think that, that was a bad deal. Uh, I think um, what was wrong with it was it was distressed and it was small revenue and it was just, so. I think a couple pieces that were wrong with it was that there was um, a, a single large customer was responsible for most of the revenue. Other than that, it was a fairly small deal, mm-hmm. and I think we did the best to structure. I think given that, I would have said I would I should have walked away because that's not that doesn't fit the bill of mm-hmm. what we, what we need to do is too much risk on one thing. So 
we're, but we're like, you know what? Let's buy it anyways. We can roll it in. It's similar. It's just, it's a competitor to our company. No big deal. We can, you know, we can absorb it. And it is a big deal because we could not absorb it efficiently. Um, mm. And and the problem is when when that one big customer inevitably guess what left, right? You would have yeah. who would have thought? Um, well, then we didn't have enough revenue to support what needed to be done to fix it, mm. and so we sucked away profits from another successful business and our dev team from another business to this to make it work. And and that was just again, I would say a year of like just some some bad things and then uh, some wrong spending the. Going good money after bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because what could we have done with our main business, Norbert, and to grow it on the dev and marketing perspective if we didn't get sucked into this like opportunistic buy, right? Now, makes sense. Grass is always green. I mean, oh, like grass. Like hindsight is always, you know, twenty twenty. But yeah. I think the writing was on the wall. Of like, okay, it's distressed. It's decreasing drastically. Revenue minus big customers, not significant. And and it's like. Am I willing to put the work in? Um, mm. But the, I would say the worst deal we've done is, uh, and I, I won't say the name, but it's a Gmail extension. You can figure out the two and two. And <laughs> okay. I, this is a successful company. It's growing. Uh, well, now it's growing, but we want we bought a business of which the core feature Gmail made for free a year after we bought it. Nine months <laughs> after we bought it, actually. Um, and then they made this like, and within that nine months, three months in, they made one secondary feature for free. Um, so like we literally, uh, by the way, so we, 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 we had a gut feeling that Google's going to make these things free, but mm. they're going to, they could compete and they likely will. So our first thing, we first order of business is we need to change the value prop expand the value prop from one or two features. Mm-hmm. Um, the features are mm-hmm. send later, right? Now mm-hmm. Google, you can you can schedule an email to be sent. A little different, and I would say Google's Gmails, I would never say this about most of Google products, but their G- UX is actually shittier than like ours or like competitors because I don't know, they just, it's feel like they just kind of strapped it on. But mm-hmm. anyways, my point is, we in that nine months, we actually built like eight other features that are differentiated factors but ne- I underestimated what happens when Gmail or Google launches a product. <laughs> we just got a punch in the face and a kick to the nuts in marketing <laughs> when Gmail launched anything. So what happened was not that the product value changed because we built all this other stuff. It was that our marketing just tanked because all these articles we had all this rankings and traffic and all these people are talking about us. This is an eight, nine year old business that's been around. It, it has um, 250,000 installs. Like you can't, and it gets like 10, 15,000 installs per month. Like that's a big number. Um, I felt like that was a moat around the brand and like it was coming from SEO. But guess what? SEO, just like the SERPs changed and all the articles now are like, all these PR, uh, all these publications talking about Gmail's new feature. And so their authority just trumped ours. And so again, like the the rug got pulled underneath us of like our traffic. Mm. And so that happened in, I think, April, 2019. Um, And 
since then, we've been trying to recover from there. I believe the core business is still good. But when you're, when you just get the rug pulled out underneath you from a marketing perspective and have to rebuild from the ground up, which again, it took us like, I think October 1st, 2020. So a year and a half later is Mm. finally when we like figured out how to grow the business. So like a month ago, how to grow the business Hmm. with a new different marketing engine, right? Um, Not that it's working the same way, but now we have upward trajectory again. So we had this like, and and by the way, so like the Google product release didn't actually hurt us from a product perspective. People still wanted to actually use us even before we launched the free like new features. It was that the marketing rug got pulled underneath us. And that was something I got blindsided by. And Mm. to be honest, um, as a marketer, that's shame on me. That should be like an obvious thing, right? Mm. Um, that was a, I did not look at the market properly to see the inherent risk and all the risks that could come from it, like all the damage. And, um, it's, I would say we are recovering from that deal. Um, and we're back on an upward trajectory, but man, like, a year and a half and combine that same exact year and a half with the one of the years of that year and a half was dealing with the other bad property we bought. So it was like <laughs> two years at one time. It was like, just chop off both my legs and momentum, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Makes sense. So the Google effect is, 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 is a real thing, right? Um, so the, you mentioned two things. So one is, you know, the one was more historical. Looking back, you saw the distressed asset. You saw one client representing a lot of things. So you could have accounted for that risk, possibly, right? And maybe, maybe you know, thought of that as a, on your acquisition strategy and say, okay, this is just too risky and, and move on. And then the other one was, you know, this was an upward trajectory. Things are looking good. And there was a possibility of Google releasing. So it's kind of hard because you have to forward think and make some kind of market uh, judgment, which is a, a different skill, right? And I mean, I think you, you made, I think maybe a better decision there, but unfortunately, Google, yeah, Google came in, right? And, and you know, made that move. Um, yeah, and we did yeah. de-risk it. I think we de-risked mm-hmm. the deal with the one large customer by okay. doing a, an earn out and like, uh, exactly. we, re, we redid the, we did the deal to like, well, we're not financially liable, but what we didn't figure out what we should have done is walked away. It was like the risk factor was too high or we should have, um, we didn't factor in not just the risk. We didn't, we did factor ish in ish, mm-hmm. like the the drain. Like we didn't factor in the exactly. time factor. If the, when that happened, not if it happened, right? So financially we got our, we're fine. Financially fine. is fine. But time mm. is more, now I have three kids. I can tell you I have more money than time, right? I literally have to schedule when I can go to the bathroom, right? When my kids are <laughs> at home with my wife and I. It's like it's like it's hard, right? Um, yeah. Three babies and stuff. So like it's 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 yeah. it's, it's a crazy crap shoot at my house. But anyways, yeah, time is more valuable than money, and that loss, that time waste or suck, uh, helped us. Well, loss help made us lose momentum in, in buying new mm. companies. Otherwise that eight could have been 15 or 20 by now, or, mm. you know, another company would have been more successful. Quick question on that. How much revenue did that account for, for the entire revenue? Would you say that one client? Of that company or the portfolio? Yeah. That one company was like 80% of revenue. 80%. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that. Okay. Text, textbook, textbook run away from this. Like PE and 
you know, any PE guy would be like, or girl person would be like, nope, this is bad. Right. Yeah. But we were like, we're like, let's make our, we're in the business of making bad work. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We usually look at like 30 and I feel that's high, but yeah, fair enough. Um, so from my understanding, you know, there's that, there's that focus now, right? You've decided to restructure your portfolio. I think we chatted a few months ago, you were actively looking for deals. And then I think like a month or two ago, three babies later, you're like, yeah, I'm selling off all my assets, deciding to focus on these two, three, uh, core high growth SaaS companies, you know, Mailshake, ZoomShift. What was that decision making process to make that, that move and just focus on these now few, uh, businesses and, and why? Yeah. So to, to, to be clear, I actually am still looking for deals, but the okay. deals, the, the value of the deals have to be like, my bar is like 10 X higher than it was six months ago. Mm-hmm. The deal has to be, the company has to be doing 2 million minimum with mm-hmm. potential to be doing a hundred million dollar, 50 to a hundred million dollar exit. Um, so Fair enough. Let's just say, you know, 10, like 10, it 15, needs to go 10, 15, from, yeah. it, it needs to go to, it needs to have potential to get to 10 to 20 million in ARR. Exactly. Otherwise I don't even care. Mm. Um, and the reason I don't care is along the same time I was doing the parallel track of Grand Ventures, which started in 2015 to, to now we had this company that in 2015 was nothing, Mailshake, and it became the path to, I see a clear path to a hundred million dollar exit value here. Um, mm. we see zoom shift that we bought in 2020, um, like, like Jan one, 2020, um, have potential for probably somewhere between 20 to hundred million exit. I don't know. Um, somewhere between that. It, 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 it's, it's too, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, mm-hmm. but even on the bottom end, that's good. And then we've got like Norbert, which I think has our largest competitor, zoom info, Billion dollar IPO, um, unique only like the best IPO of 2020, I would say, <laughs> and, and tech, yeah. whatever. Maybe I'm a little biased, but, um, um, you know, so like uh, we found these like industries that like, wow, we actually have some really big towns and big mm. potential. Why? And, and right in box is a great one too. You know, our competitors like yes, where Boomerang are doing t- north of 10 billion. So the, the thing is, I look at like, I get a new deal it's just going to bring in so what money and so, like be in distraction. And you know, the smart money goes after like every, if I were to do this again, I wouldn't do this, but if I were smart and if I was smarter, I would just go focus on mailchimp. Right. And just mm. do nothing else. And, but that can't, you can't make that decision in isolation because by the time I figured out mailshake was a winner, it was late 2017 and I'd already bought two companies. I'd already bought right. Right Inbox and Vala Norbert. So I'm already in those deals. And I, I look at buying companies. You've got a job for five years, whether you want it or not, whether you get <laughs> exactly. paid for it or not. You got to make your money, um, your your the capital you receive or the deal mm. work, and do you're financially responsible. Not necessarily responsible, but like it is you as a business owner. It is your obligation to the investors. Mm-hmm. Um, the shareholders essentially can yeah. do everything you can to make a deal successful. Exactly. And I mean, that's a little bit opposite approach than traditional investment firms, right? Maybe they look to continue to grow by doing, you know, more acquisitions, having more assets under management, you know, looking back now, would you still have done all of those eight deals or somebody who's, who's trying to get into the space, do their first few acquisitions, 
do you say suggest on you know focus on a fewer number of deals, say one per year, and have higher upside, or just do as many deals as possible, and you know as long as they're decent. <laughs> I haven't seen very many be- people be be successful doing volume of deals mm. and and small, and I think you could end up with many properties. But you have to think about how you're going to operate them. So Ramp Ventures kind of model is we operate them, myself and Bob operate them. Like we are fractional CEOs, right? CMOs or whatever, right? But, you know, for a small, you know, let's say million dollar ARR company, you don't really need a CEO. You just like, you need to be clear on the direction, right? And Mm -hmm. then it's like, it's like pretty clear at these small stages, right? Uh, But yeah, and so other operators have like, they hire CEO, CEO, they like build a team internally. And, and so we, we didn't do that. And so we already knew that our time, the way we're doing it, we were never going to be able to do a volume of deals. We can do three to four deals at a time. And we have to let go of one to get another. Mm. And let go of one to get another. And I like that. So I intentionally, um, and, and maybe this is a little egotistic, but I intentionally wanted to do it that way because I didn't think people can grow company, run or grow a company better than I could, given sure. I just did it at when I work. I'd done it at Mailshake and done it for like all these companies are buying, and I have a background in, in marketing these companies. And so I'm like, no, no, no I don't think we're going to find operators who are going to do it better than we can. Let's <laughs> just find companies who can help us, like who we can do this for and make more and more every time we buy a new company. Um, so it was a force function. It was a limiting factor to have a force function of like you cannot do more than four deals. It's just not mm. timely. Like sorry, you just don't have enough time in the day. So uh, we so we didn't right. And and when we did the one time where we owned like we added a one more property than we could handle. Oh man, like we were all we were just all miserable, you know, <laughs> like every day for like six months <laughs> or a year until like we kind of got rid of a company or like um, sorted through like the absorption of the company. Cause it's the first six months of the deal is always the most time consuming. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And, and getting everything in place and understanding the business and all that stuff. So we can only do one to two deals a year. And I only, I actually don't, I only want to do like maybe one deal every couple of years. Mm. And why um, not? Uh, so we had this conversation before, like why not put somebody, you know, like one of those high profit ones, like, you know, Vala Norbert, why not just hire a, you know, a manager to take over it and, you know, still reap the, the upside and cash flow, And, you know, then it doesn't take too much of your attention and you can focus on it rather than selling it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a way to do it. I think, uh, I, I go back to like, I don't know. I don't know folks that could do it better than I would do it. And I mm. have a fundamental problem of not <laughs> doing it the best way possible. Fair right. Enough. And so I'd rather just sell it than like give it to someone else to like do something with it. No, don't get me wrong. These are companies at like sub $2 million CEOs, mm. very different skill set than hiring a re I'd say real CEO, right? Sure. Like yeah. I can go like uh, a real CEO, a company that has potential to be tens of millions of dollars. I have no problem hiring those folks all day long. I mean, to find the right company to fit them in there, and you sure. know. But I'm saying, that, like, I feel like the the sub two million dollar ARR companies, which we have, which 
um, which we have a lot of, um, excluding a few companies that we own in the eight, um, they, they require, it's more like a growth hacker CEO, right? Exactly. And yeah. I just don't jive with that. And it's like a risk, the risk factor of a growth hacker CEO is what if they just did it wrong? What if they don't know any better? So like, I'm just like, I hate to like sit on the sideline and see someone succeed or fail and find other, know four or five other ways to do it. You know, as, as a, I, I consider myself a coach more than like a manager for my yeah. team now shaking others. I do like kind of coaching folks and, and doing it, but I think the, the jack of all trades kind of skill set, um, the companies are a little too big for, mm-hmm. and then, but they're too small for like a real CEO and a marketing team and like the whole full fledged team, right? There's like this medium space that I think it requires, in my opinion, to grow the fastest and, and, and make the most from that deal. Uh, it requires um, to be the savviest, right? Mm, mm. It requires an edge. Like, what is my edge in growing my company versus another, like all my competitors? Right. I'm better at it or like whatever. And I don't feel like the CEO would place would have that same edge. Yeah, unless they 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 were successful in a in a similar industry or business, and right, like it, it takes a lot of, yeah, uh, yeah. Things to and we were for. already by the time we wanted to do that, we were already in the deals, right? I would what mm. I would do in the future if I want to bring a CEO on, I would structure them with equity, right? Yeah. Give them a portion of equity, but um, we didn't structure our deal that way, and so like the, I didn't want to redo it all to bring mm. a person on that I wasn't one hundred percent sure on. Makes sense. Now, when you're looking at, so you mentioned, you know, two million as a floor in terms of size. Uh, when you're looking at a potential acquisition target, right now, when you look at a business, if you can, you know, break it down to one factor or element that really gets you excited about the opportunity, what would you say that? What would you say that is? Um, is the business like, like, is the product? So I'm only doing B two B SaaS. Is the yeah. product? Like, like, actually, it's just the product. Elements of the product. It doesn't even one factor. It's like. What's okay. the product? And is this a must-have or a nice-to-have? I nice. don't care about competitors. Like mm. every one of my businesses... Well, first of all, every, the, the SaaS space is way competitive, right? Like there's just too exactly. many. There's so many people. So like competition, that's fun. Cool. Like that's actually a good sign that there's a market here. But I, I think I'm not worried about like having 20, 30... Mailshake has 82 competitors according to mm-hmm. G2, right? Yeah. Um I fine. Okay. No big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Biggest competitor outreach billion smallest one on like 10 K and MRR. Right. So like, doesn't matter. Um, but is the, what, what's the product? Like, is it good? Like, do we have to rebuild it? Like, is it, is it core? How do we make it core? Like, what's the potential of this product? If I can analyze a product 10 different ways, which I normally do, mm-hmm. it's, it is like, I'm buying the product and everything that's kind of been done around it. And in mm. most of our companies, the product is the growth engine. Marketing is fuel. Sales is like rocket fuel, but the engine is still the product. And right. without, with a shitty engine, after the rebuild it, it is, then you buy the marketing. And that's yeah. great too. These days, marketing is more expensive than product, like meaning what it takes to build a product. Sure. But you have to be aware, are you buying a marketing engine or are you buying a product? And yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> Very different. And I, I think there's the market in my mind, the market shifting to like, 
it's almost better off buying the marketing because it's it's less expensive and less timely than buying building the product. But mm-hmm. arguable of the risk factors and, and you know I don't know I wouldn't I wouldn't only invest on the on the marketing side with the poor product. But like look at guys like Neil Patel, right? Neil bought Uber Suggest, freaking good product. But Neil brought his traffic and the yeah. traffic. Sorry, Uber Suggest traffic was ridiculous. Right. All he had to do was figure out ways to monetize it. And then he like combined it with his traffic, which made it like a huge funnel. Mm. And I think he, you know, he, he got to pretty good growth, like multi-million in, in, in growth, just like monetizing traffic with exactly. the product. Right. So mm. those are gems. Those are hidden gems and also situational, but I'm looking for more of that than like mm. a company that is under marketed. And that was kind of our thesis in 2015 is like, we're good at marketing and operating efficiency. We can run it better and we can do a better job growing it than most around. And our thesis and concept now is like, well, look, everybody's doing this. There's lots of companies doing this. What are we really good at? We're really good at growing companies, operating them effectively, building teams. And where do we want to spend our time for the next five to 10 years? Right. We've Mm -hmm. already proven that the concept, you know, I'd say six, even the one that was, even the two deals that are bad, we're still up on. Like if we go sell mm. them, they're still worth more or the same than we bought them for. So like, I'd say up being like we made profit along the way, so like net gain. But mm. that's not the way you look at it because there's a time factor too, which means like, sure. did you did you really want a 30k a year job for five years that you even though you made money, you know, yeah. even though you made 100k in five years, it's still you know. Anyway, so yeah. Um, that, did that answer your question? It, it does. Yeah. And I think that's what I love too. When we look at a business is like, you see those founders who are very product focused and they've built, they just like, you know, they've, they're those wizards that just love building versus like going out and marketing it. They're scared to, uh, to market it, but somehow they've grown by one channel and then you come in and you, you, know, you, you apply a few more channels and uh, just keep building on the product. Um, guys, I want to shift gears on the investor side. When you're raising capital, because you've done that with a, with a couple of deals, uh, external capital, what are your you know, top three main ingredients to get, would you say, other investors on board to trust you into acquiring and managing a company? Is there something, I know obviously they trust your experience, and your background, but is there these three things you say, look, uh, this is what this company is doing. This is why you should invest in it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, I don't know if there's three. I think one is um, mm-hmm. like showing your uh, experience and sharing your experience um, is number one. Meaning, like, I've got people that I email regularly whose money I don't have, but they know everything I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I want them to know what I'm doing. If they want to, if they choose to get involved in our next deal, they can. They don't, I don't need, I'm not required. They're not even a shareholder and all they've done is probably sign an NDA, but they could go and use that information to go buy another company or invest with another partner and whatever. But Interesting. by the time I ask for money, they know who the hell I am, what I've done, what I'm doing today, the lessons I've learned yesterday and like what I'm thinking about tomorrow, right? Um, so I think, um, I think there's that. That's number one, right? Like if you're going to go get money, build a relationship before you ask for money, right? Show mm. your success before you ask for money, right? Um, um, that's number one. I think number two is be very, very, like provide 
clear updates. I've invested in probably, I don't know, 15 angel investments and like um, at various like C to series A. Mm-hmm. And I hear from nobody. And this is not just my common theme. This is a common theme for most investors. Unless you're on the board, you don't hear updates. I want to help these people because it's my money. I like, I want to help them be successful. Yet nobody really, actually only one. Uh, I'm an equity holder of uh, like a Uber for lawn care company. I can't mm. say your name, but I'll mm. just say that. And they email me every week with updates about their company. And I'm like, I know what they're doing. When I have something valuable I can add, I will add it at that one point. Right? Otherwise, nice. I just shut up and listen, right? Um, nice. But I know everything they're doing. And like, how much brain power does it for me to know what they're doing every day? It's reading an email, right? Sending their, uh, you know, they, they have a, you know, a deck or whatever. Most of it's like an email. Here's what we, and then they're, they're even smart. They, they have an investor, this is an investor relations email. And they, at the end, at the bottom of the email is like, here's how you can help. I'm like, even better. Uh, You're telling me it. you need help here. Great. I do the same thing for my investors. Um, and, and we've been doing it from day one. And my partner is actually the one who like got me on this bandwagon. Our updates to our investors are like 10 pages every <laughs> month. It takes me two days with my partner every month to write this update. But the thing that like, so, I, so we started doing this for the investor, but what the most value I got out of this was like, oh shit, this is what happened this month. Like when you're in the trees, right? Mm. It's hard to see like the whole forest and the, what what's happening. And like, so you kind of get a vision for it. The other part of this is that like, oh, sorry, you, you get an understanding of the full picture that the paint, you are painting the picture and then you can eventually step back and like, oh, that was a shitty month or that was a really productive month or like, wow, we got our ass handed to us. Yeah. The other part of this is um, when you look at your previous update and you're like, this is what I was said I was going to do next month and this is what I did. There's something different here. And so mm. it's the do say ratio that I've learned from like Heath and Shaw, like, I don't know, like 15 years, like 10, 15 years ago of like, hey, here's, here's the thing, things you're going to say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Here's what actually happened. Did you do that? Now it's never one-to-one. But if you're in the 70, 80% range, like right. that's an amazing, like that's an amazing like place to be at. You know, mm. Sometimes you might, oh, I was going to do this. Like that was a bad idea. And here's why I didn't do it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's never going to be one to one, but like the closer you can get the like do say ratio to one to one, it kind of matches. It helps you like, not helps you, but it, it tells you like, are you actually executing and what you're saying you're going to execute on. And I guarantee if you ever look at that in someone's life or business, mm. it like the numbers, unless it, unless it's measured, it's under 50%. Probably. And I, th- I think that's another thing when they say they're setting up your OKRs, right? I think it's the same thing where, you know, you're not expected to hit all hundred. If you're doing it, you're probably under committed, but if you're hitting 70 to 80, you're probably at a good, good point. So probably same, same thing, right? Doing what you, you say you'll do sounds, sounds easy, but it's harder than in practice. Um, so right. that, <laughs> and then, it makes you, you know, question what you say, right? True. Don't don't say stuff you don't think you're going to be able to pull off. It, 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 it's like when you That's think integrity, about right? When, <laughs> yeah, when you act, yeah, exactly. Like if I say I'm going to do this, well, damn, I'm going to do it, right? Like, um, mm. and again, like I'd say that's a superpower for me because I've been living my whole life that way. Like, I want to go do mm. this. I just mm. go do it, right? I, I don't know. I I think about it, but then I just yeah. go do it, right? My wife hates it because then she can't buy me presents. I was like, I need this. And the next day I did it and bought it, fixed the problem. Like, cool. Um, my, my signature saying here, and we'll move on. I know uh, there's more here, but is 
every problem or everything can be solved with two books and a conversation, right? Like there's usually two good books or a blog post even about it and a conversation with someone smarter than you, like a coach, your mentor, the person you have a problem with, your partner, whatever, your employees, your wife, your husband, whatever, like <laughs> get in, get information about it and then confront or console uh, or get coached on that, on that, on that situation or problem. That's actually yeah, very true. Thinking about that makes perfect sense. I love it. Um, so on the investor side, you know, looking at a business from some investors, you know, they look at a business from a high level perspective, right? You know, the market, good metrics team. And then you have others who are, you know, look very, very deep into the details of the business. What is the growth rate by client and product category over the past five years, blah, blah. What's your approach to getting, you know, the right enough data to be comfortable while not scaring away the seller way with a crong, uh, you know, like a crazy long list of requests um, that they don't want to get into? Yeah. Um, I, I actually, my approach is I ask all my crazy requests and right I let front. them know up front. Well, mm. first decision is do I even want to go deeper in this, right? Okay. What mm. questions do I need to, what are like questions I need to must have solved, right? Okay. Mm. And, and, um, and then I go, once I get that threshold and that's like two or three questions, right? Your traffic, give me access to analytics or like, show me this, show me that. Like, it's like one or two conversations, simple. Once I get that and during this process, I'm like, look, if I'm, I'm going to ask you simple questions. Once I get those answers, I'm just validating what I want to move forward and I don't want to waste your time. So I'm just going to ask you the things that I think really matter. After that, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to probe your business to eternity and beyond. It is going to suck and lots of questions. You're not going to have any of the answers, but any, I'm not, you're not even sure I'm going to buy this business. But I tell them by thinking about these questions, even if I don't buy your business, you're going to be better off because you're going to know the answers to things you probably haven't thought of. Mm -hmm. um, I hope to buy your business, but you know, whatever. And sometimes by doing this, like people have like just said, Oh shit, I found a way. I, I think I know what I want to get out of this. Like I've scared away sellers because I, they got the like, aha, I'm like, damn it. <laughs> that too much. But yeah. that's, you know, to, like that's the way I've kind of done it. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, my angle is also like, I'm a founder too. Like, I get asked if I got asked these questions, it would suck. Um, but, um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's kind of my approach. Cool. And uh, so for those who don't understand, maybe can you share, you said those first six months are obviously the most critical, take a lot of work to understand the business. But on the marketing side, post acquisition, what does that generally look like when you acquire the company? What are you doing there to, to turn it around and grow it? Yeah, you're trying to find your like, usually there's one growth channel that's sometimes been tapped okay. out. You're trying to identify, well, first, I would never buy a business that there's no growth opportunity. So mm -hmm. what you during the three, you know, three months of closing the deal or one month or whatever, you figure it out like your 30, 60, 90 day plan. What are the things you need to get done in the first 90 days? It's the same thing. Like, nope. Come up with a plan, right? What are you going to do over the next six months? What is it that you need to accomplish? Um, and, and I say 90 because like, let's start with the big things you need to get done to make the, like the whole year work. Right. And because also in those 90 days, things won't work. <laughs> uh, you'll find out which won't, right? Like, Oh, I thought this channel was big, but it didn't. Um, so it's, it's in getting all the, all the, all the metrics in place, tracking setup. It, it's understanding the 
marketing tech stacks, a tech stack, what is needed, um, what again, like what tools you need to use uh, if you're going to add sales. Like for example, we when we bought Zoom Shift, there was a sales. There was no one doing sales as the founders. I'm like, no, 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 hiring a sales person or team or people. Um, and so we did. And like, what tools? We got that infrastructure set up. We needed tracking in place. We needed. Um, we need to like, where are the holes? Where are the gaping voids of under marketed or poorly marketed or poorly marketing execution um, mm. or under right um, or non-existent a lot of times that you can fill? What are the low hanging fruit? So I'd say a third of this is low hanging fruit. A third is like infrastructure slash understanding what's happening with mm-hmm. the funnel and everything like that. So sometimes it's like, mo- I guess most deals I bought, they don't even have a good tracking in place or all the things tracked. So it's getting that in place. And so by the way, that makes it like a thousand times harder when you're betting the deal mm-hmm. under- because you're pretty much doing it before you actually buy the business without letting them know. Um, but, um, and then the other part of this is like, like that's a low hanging fruit or kind of like just like opportunistic things you need to get out the door. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, um, 30 to 40% of what you think is going to work usually doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah I think that's, it, that's pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty standard. Uh, and, and putting the people in place. Right. So, um, without sharing my exact playbook, usually it's sales, usually it's marketing, usually it's support success. Mm-hmm. Um, something, for post customer, usually copywriting expertise is needed. Usually design and mm-hmm. conversion stuff like design. Who do AB tests and conversion and optimize the funnel, right? And right. so I've got my like go to market, well, I guess go to acquisition team, and some of them stick around permanently. Nice, like yeah. full time yeah. employees or full time contractors. Others mm-hmm. like conversion folks will move on to another company or like. I may have even borrowed them from another company. Makes sense. And uh, yeah, and, and what would you say? So you know, going to, where you are today, you know, you obviously had some some success. Um, who would you say, or what has been, you know, would you say the best three resources, whether it's a book, uh, somebody in your life, or a mentor that you say has been instrumental to to help you lead to your success? Um, good book called Finish Big. Uh, or built to sell. Those are built to sell. But read them both. Um, mm-hmm. It's like it's like a duh type of situation. But like when you're new to this or in the weeds, you're just like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think um, I, I think um, so. Those are those are those are really good books. I think I like just constantly read everything about SaaS as a whole, like. Generally speaking, the leaders, the unicorns, the ones that are like funded companies, the valuations they get, the, the things like I would recommend reading like Bessemer Ventures kind of content. If they have the Cloud 100, Y Combinator has their thing, like 0.9. All these VCs, they've got their job is to make their hundreds of millions and billions of dollars invested in the startups, SaaS mm-hmm. companies or cloud companies work. Why don't you let them teach you about the market analysis? And the industry analysis and learn everything you can, even though that's not what you're going to apply to your usually purchased or acquired companies would be, or companies like us, guys like us would buy companies won't run in the same way as a, you know, funded startup. They're more bootstrap startup operators 
um, mm. our operations, but you can still learn a lot. So I think that's like number two. And I, I think number three is resources. Like just go, um, just go do stuff. Like you be your own mentor, like execute. You got an idea, execute, fail, execute, fail, execute. Start some sort of growth experiments. Throw all your ideas on a paper. Most of them are going to suck. Mm. A week later, look at that piece of paper and think about the, and like think about this is the impact of each one, and just do the top five. Right? Like go do it. So I hate when people are like, "I need to learn." Just go do it. Just do it. I have. Yeah, I think that's the only way to learn. Especially well, not the only way. That is the most effective way to learn. Because you can talk about it for a while, but most of the time, by the time you're done talking about it, you could have just done it. Exactly. I love that. Be your own mentor. And I think that's that's been said in the past before, right? Where if it's not the information, there's a lot of information out there. If everybody actually applied what they, the information is out there, we'd all be billionaires with, you know, eight pack abs and you know, we just have to actually just do it, right? So there's nothing special about it. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, the knowledge of weight loss is fairly out there. Like, everybody knows what to do. You eat less than you... Um, then you burn, right? And yeah. eventually you lose weight and, and you go to the gym every day. Well, yeah, no <laughs> shit. That's easy. Like those are two bits of information. But like 24 hours a day to eat less is hard, right? To mm-hmm. manage your energy, to take time out of your day to go to the gym is hard. So like action is significantly greater than information. But information without taking action is just fucking noise. Exactly. <laughs> So three, three babies, eight companies, you know, still continuing to grow. You're doing pretty well, but today, what is, what would you, how would you define success? What does it mean to you today? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I think, um, I, I have my still monetary value of measuring it. So money, right. Okay. My goal is to get $10 million into my bank account cash, like not in equity holdings cash. Um, I'm well on my way there. To the point where I think if I just don't mess up what I'm doing now, I'll mm-hmm. get there in the next few years. But now my goal is $100 million in my bank account. Um, so I, I have like 10x the goal for myself because I can I see already there. And that was actually my point. Um, so that's like the monetary success. I think number two is like, do am I happy? Am I enjoying what I'm doing? Right? Mm-hmm. Like every day. And, and if the answer is no, what is it that I'm not enjoying and I have to fix it? I have to fix it within a month or two. Um, and, and then also, I think the ultimate success is this balance of life and integration of life, work-life balance. But like, can I take away a day, any day of the week? I'm just going to say, I'm going to go spend time with my kids. If the answer is no, I am doing something wrong in my day-to-day. Like, I'm too hands-on. So mm. um, I am a hands-on person in general, but like, yeah. Um, if I'm not able to step away from my business, even for a day, no matter what day it is of the week, I am, I'm doing something wrong in the role. I'm in the wrong role. Yeah. You don't have your true freedom then, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not an entrepreneur. I have a job. Exactly. Yeah. That's not what we signed up for. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Last question. Where can our audience get in touch with you? Learn more about what you're working on and, and ask any questions they have. Yeah. I mean, best place. I blog a lot. I blog at a lot of places, but sujapatel.com, my, my personal blog, um, I just share a lot of the things I learn and, and know. And, and um, you know, I'm on a personal mission. So there's a contact form, get in touch with you there. Um, LinkedIn is great. But like my blog is all about now as a 2020, 
my own, only my unique experience and things I have not, um, that's not out there on the web. So hopefully that's, you know, you'll learn something new there. Okay. Least that's a goal. Awesome. Well, it was nice chatting with you, Sujin. Appreciate you jumping on sharing that. Likewise. All right. All right. Take care. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.